Welcome to another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church. Cool. I want to uh, talk to you tonight about the word action. About action. And, uh, you know, the, at the church of Jesus Christ is a church of action. And we are to be people of action. And uh, the, word, the meaning of the word action simply means this. And obviously we understand what it means. But it's the process of state of acting or of being active. Action applies especially to the act of doing. An act to the result of doing. And action usually lasts through some, through some time. So it takes time and consists of more than one act. So it's not like I've done some, one thing and that's an act. But an action is the act of constantly acting, constantly doing. And... I'll tell you why I want to talk about this, because God has a whole book called Acts. And the book's actually called the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Christians. And the church was birthed at the beginning of the book of Acts. So the church is meant to be a church of action. It was birthed in action. And uh, Martin Steele, a uh, speaker who spoke last couple of days at this conference, said, he, he didn't talk about this, but he sort of said a line along these lines. And he said, the book of Acts is a book of action, which they did something. It's not a book, he said, of good intentions. You can have good intentions going, oh, I want to go do this. I want to bring this person to church. Or I, I want to I pray for this person. I, I, I'd be good to do this. be good to do that. be good to have a dream about doing this. Or it'd be good to, I want to start a business or get a job. I want to get a job and I'd like to get a job and have intentions of getting a job and I have intentions of doing this. And then you can sit there and do nothing, but you can have right, plenty of good intentions. And the church is not a church of good intentions. It's a church of action. And God is not a God of good intentions, going, oh, I might go and help that person, or I might heal that person, or I might. He doesn't sit back and go, oh, I think this would be good if I did this. I'm thinking about doing that. I think I'll go and do this. I think I'll go and do that. But he's a God of action. He's a God who acts. He's a God who's always moving. The Holy Spirit is a, is a spirit that is as a person that is action. The Holy Spirit is all about action. He's not of good intentions, thinking that I will oh, be good if I did this, be good if I did that. I have an intention of doing this and just sits back and does nothing. The Holy Spirit is always active. The Word of God, the Bible says, is sharper than two-edged sword. The Word of God is alive. It is active. It is something that works. It's something that is more than just words. When it's spoken, it affects the atmosphere, it changes people, it changes the heart, it pierces your mind, it pierces your thoughts, it changes someone on the inside, it changes someone on the outside because the Word of God carries power to heal and transform. It's not a book of good intentions, it's a book of action. God is a God of action. The church is a church of action. The church was birthed in action. The Holy Spirit was poured out. And it wasn't just a little like, oh yeah, here we are. The Holy Spirit's been poured out. There is a roar that came from heaven that the whole city heard. And they ran to the building and gathered round the building, thousands of people, because they heard a roar. 
And it was the Spirit of God, it was the wind of the Spirit that was audible to a whole city that they ran. And, and that, it wasn't because they, you know, when you know, they said the, you know, the Holy Spirit came and tongues of fire rested upon 120 believers and they began to speak in other languages, but it wasn't that speaking that brought people from the other side of the city. It was the roar, the wind, the flame, the fire of the Holy Spirit that they heard rushing and coming into the building. The Bible says it came in like a roaring, rushing wind that was audible, like a tornado, like a hurricane came in. So the birth, the church was birthed in a spirit, and the Holy Spirit was poured out, and it was an action. It was, it was going on. Then Peter spoke, and miracles happened. People gave their lives to God, and they were baptized. And, and the book of Acts is full of action. It's earthquakes. And jail doors busting open and chains breaking off and, and people being healed. And, and there's shipwrecks and there's storms and there's typhoons, storms that last for two weeks. Jail breaks. There's martyrs where Stephen was the first martyr. That he, they, that he, that he, they couldn't talk him down. He knew the word of God so powerfully and spoke it so powerfully that everyone tried to argue with him. He won every argument and they couldn't. The only way to shut him up was to kill him. Book full of action, miracles, supernatural transportation. Philip is talking to this Ethiopian guy and one minute in this chariot and he's telling him about heaven and about Jesus and the whole thing. All of a sudden the Bible says that Philip was taken from one place and a moment landed in another, about 40 miles away. By the Holy Spirit. Now, that would be very handy at times. <laughs> if I need to go to Brisbane, I'd much rather travel in a moment than have to sit in a car for three and a half hours. I'd beat the plane every time. I'd arrive at the airport and see you later. Just wave out the window as I'm traveling through the air and I'm arriving right there. It's, it's true. It happened. Don't ask me how. I'm not going to even try and understand how. But the Holy Spirit transported Philip from one place to another in a moment. That's pretty cool. The book of Acts is a book of action where God's people, his disciples, his uh, apostles, the people of God acted. And you can read through. The whole book is exciting because the whole book is just goes from one action story to another. It doesn't slow down. It's like, oh, then they had a little picnic and just, you know, hang out for a while behind the lake. And nothing happened for a few weeks because, you know, everyone just sort of had a sleep. They were a bit tired. No, it just, it's a whole book of action all the way through. And God, through that book, is trying to say, this is what my church is. This is who we are. So I want to talk about action. A church that's of inaction or doesn't act is a church that's asleep. And I've seen churches that are asleep over the years. I'm not saying, I'm not talking about our church. But churches that are asleep, they're just inactive. They're just, it's like they're a giant on the inside, but they're asleep. The hope of the world is the church because we carry Jesus, because we carry God's presence, because Jesus is on the inside of us. And so the hope of the world is the church. And we, as the church, can't afford to be asleep. The church is built of people. We are the church. You are the church. 
and the church on a whole are the people of God. And you've got the global church. You've got individual churches and, and that have different focuses and reach different people in different ways. And, but we are the church and the church can't afford to be asleep. My son Riley uh, loves action and uh, he likes cars and uh, little cars and yeah, all, all kinds of cars actually. And so you, talk, you can talk to Riley about cars and he knows he will be driving up the road. He will look at the badge on every car and can tell you what it is. And he's seven years old. And uh, he plays a, a, com- a computer game. It's on a tablet or whatever. It's a car game and you race real cars and all that. And so through this game, he's learned he's the badge of every car. And he can tell, you can ask him and he will tell you the top speed of every car. Uh, lots of them. And, uh, you know, and then he's, he's seen a couple of these cars in real life. He goes, oh, that one goes 320. Uh, that one goes 260. And uh, so he likes, serious, he, he knows a lot more than me about cars. He's seven. I, he knows. He kn- I said, go talk to Tim. He'll talk to you about cars. I said, oh, he knows. I said, go. He asked me questions. I go, I have no idea, Riley. You'd have to go talk to him. we have to Google that. And so he loves action. So he, he might, you know, on weekends he's allowed to, you know, play, a, play the game for a, a little bit. And so... Um, and he'd be playing the game. All of a sudden, he'd, dad, 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 quick, come over here, come over here. And so he goes, I want to show you something. So, and you can do replays. He's riding along. You can do replays in the game. So when he's cruising along and he's, you know, going around the bends and maybe winning a race or something like that, it's all good. But, like, he calls me over. And what do you think he calls me over for? Because, because he's done this massive stack, this massive crash. He's like, this is awesome. Look at this. The car's spinning through the air and his smashed doors are coming off. And smash, Look, I smashed the car. Look, look, I've hit it so many times the car can hardly run. You think, this is awesome. Because he loves action. And God, yeah, and God wants us to be a people of action that love the action of God's power, of God's life. People that are eager to say, God, we're looking for the miraculous. We're looking for the impossible. We're looking for the action. You know, the disciples, when you start to read about the disciples that Jesus uh, picked, the 12, they were, some of them were pretty wild. And, uh, and you, sort of, you know, sometimes you wonder, Gee, why did Jesus pick those guys? And, and a, a reason to me, I want to read you a couple of them. Is in Mark 3, this is when Jesus picked those 12 disciples. Says, then he appointed 12 of them. And call them his apostles. They would accompany him, and he would send them out to preach, uh, giving them authority to cast out demons. These are the twelve he chose. I just want to read you the first two. The first two is Simon, who he named Peter, and James and John, the sons of Zebedee. But Jesus nicknamed them sons of thunder. Now Jesus nicknamed them that. So like, so Jesus, oh yeah, this Zebedee's your dad, but look. You, I'm going to call you sons of thunder because you guys are just, you're wild. You're like out of control. And so, but I'm picking you as my 12. And sometimes we sort of see some guys and that that are a bit wild and we think, oh, they're a bit crazy for God. They're a bit, oh, they can't, they, oh, I don't think they're really following Jesus. They're a, bit, they're a bit too crazy, a bit too out there. I reckon if Jesus, if Jesus named them sons of thunder, you know, it's like, it's not sons of, green pastures and flowers, sons of sit beside the lake and have a picnic, it's sons of thunder, thunder's a fairly strong word, sons of like I love being in the storm, sons of you know I like being you know where it's loud and or whatever, so obviously these guys were a bit wild and a bit crazy, we get the uh, one 
one time in the Bible, you see why. Later down the track, now this is, this is a, you know, they've been with Jesus for a few years at this point in time. And it says, as the time drew near in Luke 9, uh, for, for Jesus to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sent messages ahead to the Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. But the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. And they, Samaritans and, and Jews didn't get on. So they thought, no, we're not, we're not happy that you're going to Jerusalem, so we're not going to accept you in our village. That was crazy to think they wouldn't accept Jesus. When James and John, sons of thunder, saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? <laughs> like, we've been with you for two years, Jesus, and he's healed, raised the dead, healed the sick, loved people, multiplied food, cared for people. And they're going, well, they wouldn't let us in. Hey, Jesus, should we call down fire? Just burn them all up. You know, we love people so much. Let's burn them all up. And the Bible says that Jesus rebuked them. If you read the New King James Version, it says, And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire uh, to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? So they're like, you know, they're saying, Oh, we want to be like Elijah or call down fire. I'm amazed that they th- thought they could do it. Well, they, they couldn't. They Earlier on, they can't, you know, there's, a, there's, a, there's a girl, a boy with a demon, and they couldn't set him free, but they think they can call down fire from heaven and burn up a whole village. And so, <coughs> but Jesus turned to them and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. In other words, he's saying, no, that's not me. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And so Jesus had some guys around him that were a bit wild. And Jesus chose them, those guys, probably because they were. And he thought, if I get these guys filled with my spirit, with the Holy Spirit, they're going to change the world. Because the truth is, if you read the book of Acts, where people acted, they changed the known world at that time. Because they acted. Because they were a bit wild. They weren't all wild. Luke was a doctor. He was probably a bit, he probably kept the peace. Probably like, you know, James, sit down. You know, that's, stop talking like that. Sit, stop playing with the fire. Just put the stick down. You're not cooking the marshmallows. Keep away. Then there's another, you know, what about Peter? Peter did some wild things, said wild things, did wild things all the time. One minute he was a hero, did something great. Next minute he's saying the wrong thing, the next line. And Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. And the next minute he's saying, hey, well done, Peter. Only God revealed that to you. And So Peter's like all over the place. But, but same deal. Same deal. They're in the garden just a bit later on. That before Jesus is about to go to the cross, and they're in the garden, and all the soldiers come, at least 50 of them come to arrest Jesus in the middle of the night. They'd been, Jesus had been praying. They'd all been sleeping. They're meant to be praying. And the soldiers come to arrest Jesus. And, and then and like Peter's standing there. And they come to get Jesus. And Peter's like, what's going on here? And he pulls out a sword and just hacks the guy's ear off. Just, just off the one of the soldiers. Takes his lucky. I'm glad he got his ear and not everything else. And so got his ear in the middle of the night. And, and he just starts, you know, this is Peter. Been with Jesus for over two years, you know, two and a half, nearly three years now. And so, like, you think, 
you'd think seeing all the stuff that Jesus did, all the great things, he's like, you'd think he'd have a bit of control, but he's like, you can't, you can't take Jesus. And so hacks the guy's ears off. Jesus obviously in a moment heals the guy and it's like, Peter, put your sword away. But these are the disciples. These are the ones out of hundreds and hundreds of people. These are the ones that Jesus chose to be the closest to him. And I believe that, you know, that God wants us. In all of us, there's, there's an action. There's, a, there's something inside of you that causes us, that God wants you to rise up and he wants you to be a person of action. He wants the Spirit of God within you to rise up and to stir you to be a person of action. And, and when, when that action, when that, you know, when Peter was the one, when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he was the one that got up. And he began to preach to the crowd. The same one that, that, um, that denied Jesus three times. The same one that hacked off the soldiers' ears not too long ago. The same one we thought, oh, well, he's not going to make it. He's not going to, he's like, oh, he's all over the place. Suddenly, the Spirit of God comes upon him. And he gets up and he begins to speak. And 3,000 people say, we will be baptized, want to follow Jesus. And he's the one that, and these, and these guys just come together. And so all that, that built up that, wildness in them that that action on the inside of them god actually used that and use and and train them and funnel that into his kingdom being built through their lives so don't ever don't ever be don't be quick to push someone aside you know that person's i don't know they're a bit wild i'm not sure if god will use them he might be the one that actually brings the breakthrough god wants all of us to be people of action I remember, not the story about Riley, um, I remember when Riley was just started to walk, and he's about two years old, something like that, and uh, just turned two, I think, and we were at a, a friend's house out at, um, um, out at Craignish, and at this house and, and visiting, and there's a retaining wall that was about six feet high, built out of rocks, and anyway, Riley's running around the grass or whatever, and it's like, where'd Riley go? I was sort of looking around for Riley. And here's Riley, who's only, you know, well, he was probably about this high, but uh, two years old. And so he's climbing this retaining wall and uh, flat up these rocks, six feet all the way up. And here he is standing on top of the retaining wall like, hey, how you going? You know, and two years old. And like, he's like, he didn't care. He's like, he's like a man of action. Here I am up here. I love the action. I love climbing. I love the adventure. And I think God has put that in all of us. I also remember not too long ago that uh, he, uh, we have some neighbours over the back. They're an Indigenous family. They're, they're lots of fun and the kids are, their kids are wild. They're even more wild. And so Riley loves playing with them because they're full of action. And so uh, he just regularly climbs our six-foot fence and uh, jumps over their fence and, and they're over there playing, run around playing football and all that kind of stuff, getting hurt all the time, crying, whatever. They get up, yeah, keep playing. And uh, anyway, so one, one day, not too long ago, uh, probably six months ago, he's climbing the fence. Next minute, he's like, he cry, oh, so he crying, he comes sort of limping back or whatever. And he's got this, he's stepped, he's climbed the fence. And it's like, it hasn't got, some parts of the fence are like you've got to climb bare fence palings. And he's gone up the fence, he always does it in bare feet. And he's got this splinter that long. It's gone through one toe, through one side of the toe and out, so, out the other side. And uh, under, the, under his skin. And he's like, oh, you know. 
So I'm like, oh, flip, you know. So, um, and we spend a bit of time, we're pulling, <laughs> pulling this splinter out and, uh, or whatever. And he's like crying and upset or whatever. And he's like, I need a band-aid. We finally get it out. Need a band-aid, put a band-aid. And what, if, what do you think he does? So, oh, thanks, that climbs the fence again. <laughs> it's all right, all fixed. And so jumps, and he still does it most afternoons when he has time. He'll jump over the fence and play. And, you know, got this massive splinter in his toe. Oh, forget that. That's all good. That's taken care of. Now I've got to get back to the important things. Got to go and jump over that fence again. The same thing that gave me the splinter. You know, Jesus said this. You know, that relates to our lives. Jesus said this, that in John 16, 33, I've told you that all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you'll have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I've overcome the world. You know, and sometimes in our lives... You know, we're a church of action and we're a people of action. And, and you may have reached out to people wanting to bring them to Jesus, maybe wanting to help them out or tell them this or tell them that and we're hoping your life would draw them to God. And maybe they've rejected you or maybe they've said things and, and hurt you and, and done this and done that. And, and sometimes in our lives, those things can be like splinters in our lives. And we get, we get splintered by a... A remark from someone or splintered by an action from someone and so then we sort of stop and instead of just pulling that splinter out and going I'll be okay I'm going to go out and do it again we're going oh I don't want to get hurt again don't want to get hurt again so I just I don't think I'll try you know it didn't work God that it didn't work and so I'm just going to sit back and oh, someone else can do it and maybe that we get a splinter that pierces us. And we've had a couple of them. Some of them can be big, some can be small. And, and sometimes we just pull it out and go, I'll be okay, I'll keep going. And sometimes it causes us to stop. It's like, oh, I'm not sure if I should do that again. And I just believe that we need to be like Riley and no matter how big the splinter is, maybe if you need someone to chat to or whatever and help you pull the splinter out, have a chat to God and say, God, I just got a bit hurt. Would you help me? Give me the courage to just get up again and do it again. Maybe you've prayed for someone, believing they'll be healed, and they haven't been healed yet. And so you thought, oh, I'm not sure if healing works. I heard a story, Russell Evans spoke yesterday. He said there was a guy that, when he was younger, in his church in Melbourne, that was a carpenter. And, uh, and one day he's using a drill or something and a, and a, um, a piece, of, piece of equipment. And a bit of wood went straight into his eyeball and, uh, and straight in. They had to do an operation and they put this valve in his eye that at least he'd had, and it basically damaged his eye. He lost 90% of his sight and they put this valve in. They gave him, helped him to have 10% of eyesight. And he was a man of faith. He was a Christian guy. And, every, and for 30 years, 30 years, he would come to altar calls all the time and say, God, I know who you are. I believe you're my healer. I believe that you can heal me. And for 30 years, he responded to God and said, God, I believe I have faith that you will heal me and heal this eye. For 30 years, he came to altar call after altar call after altar call and nothing happened. Then they, very recently, Russell said that in a meeting, they got up and he, was, he had, had the mic and he said, and he just felt that God said, you know, there's people here that God's going to restore sight today. There's people going to heal. God's going to heal eyes today. And this guy who had been in altar call time after time, hundreds of times over 30 years, suddenly is out the front 
And, well, whether he had his eyes closed, I'm not sure, but he opened his eyes and suddenly turned to his wife and goes, which is my bad eye? And she goes, it's that one. He goes, oh, I can see good out of both of them. And the valve that was put in there was completely disappeared. And he had a perfectly formed brand new eye with 100% healing. <clears throat> now you could say, and people could say, and maybe they said to him over 30 years, oh, well, you keep believing for God, but he hasn't done it for you, hasn't done it for you. But just in that moment, he suddenly healed. Sometimes people just rock up an altar call for 30 seconds, the first time, and they get healed. I don't know why God takes longer sometimes, but he does. I don't, you don't, it doesn't matter. I just know this, that God is a healer. And I know that faith is the substance, that faith is the ingredient that brings healing, that, that belief in God and faith in Him brings that, that is the thing that connects you to God's power is faith. So maybe you've been discouraged. Maybe you've stepped out to do something and you've got a splinter and maybe it's still there. Maybe every time you think I need to step out, I'm going to talk to that person again. Maybe, oh, it's like, oh, that splinter. They might say the wrong thing. And maybe the enemy reminds you, oh, you might get hurt. Might get hurt. I want to show you a, um, a video. It's a clip out of a movie. Um, it's the, a clip out of a Rocky movie, the last one they made. And it's a conversation that Rocky Balboa is a boxer. And uh, has with his son, who is now grown up, and and uh, Rocky's about to have this fight. It's not a title fight. It's like he's an older guy now, and uh, and he just wants to have this fight. It's like a celebrity match against the world champion, and and it's all lined up to have this fight. And and he has this conversation with his son because his son, who has been kind, of, he feels like he's been living in his dad's shadow, and he's, he feels like, oh well, everything I have is because of my last name, because of who you are, and you're famous, and. And, and he said, you've got to just stop. You can't have this fight because it's just hurting me. And, and he has this incredible conversation. And when I watch this scene, and I want you to watch this, because I believe that it's like when I watch it, it's like it's how God would encourage you and encourage me as our Heavenly Father. In the same way he encouraged his son, it's a powerful scene where he begins to speak into his life. And I believe that in the same way, God, you may have been, you may have been a person of action, you may have been wounded or hurt, or maybe some splinters in your life. But I believe if God looked, stood before you and, and he reached out, he would, he would have a conversation maybe like this one. And I want you to watch this scene in this movie. Oh, look who's here. Anthony. Father? In the back. You're doing good. You're enjoying everything, all right? Excuse me. How you doing? Glad you come by. Can I talk with you? Sure. Can you do it outside? So you're going through with this? Yeah, I start training tomorrow. Hey, Ralph. I made some connections. I could make some money on this, endorsements. Absolutely, do that. Thank you, Ralph. Sure. Okay. So you nervous about the fight? They're scared to death. You don't look scared? Well, you ain't supposed to. 
then you don't have to do it. Yeah, well, I think I do. Y you know, living with you, it hasn't been easy. People see me, but they think of you. Now with all this going on, this is gonna be worse than ever. It don't have to be. No, sure it does. Why? You got a lot going on, kid. Oh, what, my last name? That's the reason I got a decent job. That's the reason why people deal with me in the first place. Now I start to get a little ahead. I start to get a little something for myself, and this happens. Now I'm asking you as a favor not to go through with this, okay? This is only gonna end up bad for you, and it's gonna end up bad for me. You think I'm hurting you? Yeah, in a way you are. It's the last thing I ever wanted to do. I know that's not what you want to do, but that's just the way that it is. Don't you care what people think? Doesn't it bother you that, that people are making you out to be a joke and that I'm gonna be included in that? Do you think that's right? Do you? You ain't gonna believe this. But you used to fit right here. I'd hold you up and say to your mother, this kid's gonna be the best kid in the world. This kid's gonna be somebody better than anybody ever knew. And you grew up good and wonderful. It was great just watching you. Every day was like a privilege. Then the time come for you to be your own man and take on the world, and you did. But somewhere along the line, you changed. You stopped being you. You let people stick a finger in your face and tell you you're no good. And when things got hard, you started looking for something to blame, like a big shadow. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is gonna hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Now, if you know what you're worth, now go out and get what you're worth. But you gotta be willing to take the hits and not pointing fingers saying you ain't where you wanna be because of him or her or anybody. Cowards do that and that ain't you. You're better than that. I'm always gonna love you no matter what. No matter what happens. You're my son, you're my blood. You're the best thing in my life. But until you start believing in yourself, you ain't gonna have a life. Don't forget to visit your mother. See, I think that sometimes God is our Heavenly Father. When we're complaining and whinging all about the world, and maybe the splinters, because people said this and that, I reckon God, if we let Him, will get in our face and begin to talk to us. And say things maybe along those lines that, you know, I love you no matter what, because He does. You know, the, when he starts to say, you need to fit in the palms, in this palm of my hand. It's like God says in his word, I knew you before you even born. 
He said, I formed you. He knows you. And he said, you know, in this world, you're going to have some trouble, you're going to have some sorrow, but take heart because I've overcome the world. He's overcome the world for you and for me. In other words, he's saying, hey, you know, you may get hurt a bit. There may be some arrows come flying at you, but I've given you the weapons to defend it. I've given you the ability. I've given you armor of my word that will, a shield of faith that will stop every scheme of the enemy. And it doesn't matter what people say. People are going to say stuff, but it's still worth the fight. It's still worth the action. It's still worth going out and pursuing the person and bringing them to Jesus. It's still worth to keep praying for that person and believing for healing. It's still worth laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover. Even if I mean, the first time it doesn't happen, if you keep praying for people, you're going to suddenly see miracles happen. You're going to see lives transformed. And if you keep sharing your testimony, sharing your story, and telling about who Jesus is, suddenly a few people may not listen, but eventually someone's going to go, oh, I want to listen to that. And they're going to listen and they're going to give their life to Jesus. people of God are a people of action. The church of Jesus Christ is a church of action. That even though all through the book of Acts, there's so many times when they could have given up. You talk to Paul, he was shipwrecked. He was this, that, the other, thrown in jail so many times. He could have sat back and go, I felt like, you know, that guy there on the screen, you know, his, his son feeling like, oh, people said this, people for that. They think I'm a joke. They, I've copped this, I've copped that. He could have stopped so many times. Nothing stopped him. In fact, he said, you know, I've been here, I've been there, I've been high, I've been low, I've been, I know what it is to have a lot or nothing at all. And he said, I will still praise him. I will still, the, God will still be the joy of my life. I will serve him no matter what happens to me. He was in a place of knowing who God was. He was a person of action. <clears throat> I love that line. He said, it's not, you know, it's not how hard you hit and or being got knocked down. It's how you get back up. He said, that's how winning's done. That's how winning's done. I just want to share this last story before we finish tonight about action. There's so many stories in the Bible of people that do great things and have action. And there's, there's this story, which you've probably heard before maybe, about four guys <coughs> that bring their friend to Jesus on a mat. And in Mark 2... This is right up when Jesus, right at the beginning when Jesus is, you know, starting to pray for people and heal people and, and, he's, and people are hearing about who Jesus is and, and crowds are starting to gather and follow him. And it says in Mark 2 verse 1, when Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors, there was no room, not even outside the door. <coughs> Imagine you go home. And they, you know, they hear that God is moving in your house and, and people are being healed. And suddenly the whole neighborhood, the whole town, your whole suburb just rocks up. You didn't invite them, but they just rock up at your house and they just start walking in the door. And they say, oh, I'm sick. I need, can, you can you pray for me? Can you help me? And the, and the line's going out the door and, and they're like looking through windows and they're peering in. And, and so Jesus has come back. He didn't organize the meeting. He didn't have pamphlets. He didn't have flyers. He didn't put it on Facebook. He didn't Instagram anything. He didn't advertise at all. Didn't have guys running around with shirts on. Jesus is here. Go to this address over here. Or anything like that. He just comes home and people hear about it. And so all these people just come in. While he was preaching God's words, he just starts talking to people. 
to them, four men arrive carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They hear about Jesus and they go to get, get their mate, get their friend that's paralyzed. Obviously can't get there himself. And they bring him on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head. I don't know who owned the house. But they didn't ask permission. They weren't worried about that. They wanted their friend to meet Jesus. And the consequences of maybe digging a hole through someone's roof, which you could do in those days because the type of roof it was, that didn't, that didn't factor in. He said, this, this, whatever happens about that doesn't matter. It's not about us. It's about him. We need to get him to Jesus. They couldn't. No one would let him in. Couldn't get in the building, so they dig a hole in the roof. Then they lowered the man. <coughs> they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. And then the, and the Bible says this, seeing their faith. In other words, Jesus saw the faith, not of the crippled, paralyzed man, but seeing their faith, the four guys that brought him. Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there uh, thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. Packed room. No room to bring him in. Can't fit in. But there's plenty of room for him to walk out. With a whole bunch of stunned onlookers going, what just happened? What have we just seen? I can imagine him walking straight past the religious leaders who said he can't be forgiven his sins and he just looks at them. And they're like, say anything and the man jumped up grabbed his mat walked out through the stunned onlookers they were all amazed and praised God exclaiming we've never seen anything like this before I read that and I just want to share a couple of things out of these thoughts tonight before we finish it said seeing their face the paralyzed man was carried by faith they had faith in Jesus. So the very act of them picking him up on their mat, on his mat, was faith. Faith carried him to Jesus. In our lives, in your life, sometimes there's, pe there's people out there that don't have faith in Jesus because they don't know him. They don't know who he is. But I tell you, your faith can bring people to Jesus. Your faith can cause you to reach out to someone and bring them to Jesus. Your faith can cause you to go to someone and tell them about Jesus. Sometimes people were brought to Jesus. Sometimes Jesus went to them. You're, you carry Jesus on the inside of you. His presence, His power, His Holy Spirit is on the inside of you. And so you carry that. So sometimes you're going. Sometimes you're bringing the church, bring people to church. And so on this occasion, they brought this man to Jesus. Their faith carried him to Jesus. Faith brought him in front of Jesus and their faith in Jesus caused his sins to be forgiven. Because if you read it, it says, seeing their faith, 
The next thing Jesus does is not heal him, but says, your sins are forgiven. Why? Because obviously the need was him to be, he was paralyzed. That was why they brought him. But Jesus, seeing their faith that he would be healed, suddenly says, your sins are forgiven. What was Jesus doing? He, said, he was basically saying this. The most important thing here is for this man to know that his sin is forgiven. His healing is secondary because the most important thing is eternal life and having a right relationship with God and being forgiven by God. That's the most important thing. And because God is good and because Jesus is good, he doesn't leave it there. He says, and I will heal him as well because I'm a good, good father, because my father loves him, because... I'm the Son of God. I'll not only forgive his sin, but I'll heal him as well. Greatest need in anyone's life is not healing, it's salvation. It's knowing Jesus. Martin Steele, pastor from New Zealand, made this comment. He said, when you do the common things of life in an uncommon way, you'll get the attention of the world. That was an uncommon way to bring someone to Jesus. And sometimes, this is the thought I want, want you to think about. Maybe God wants you to reach out to people in a different way you've been doing it. And maybe you, you don't know how that is, but maybe you need to get on your knees and say, God, how do I reach this person? I've been trying to do this. I've been saying this, doing this way for a while. Nothing's happened. Maybe there's an uncommon way that God wants you to reach out to that person. In 1 Corinthians 2, 4 and 5, it says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. I love that scripture. Stay tuned for another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church.